The love-hate relationship between the U.S. and China tends to dominate any discussion of this country's dealings with Asia. But of course, there are many, many more players and new personalities who've assumed leadership roles as general secretary, as prime minister, as dictator, and as president throughout the region. And territorial disputes are making diplomacy more complex among those Asian countries. Joining us now to elucidate these issues are Aaron Friedberg. He's a professor of politics and international affairs at Princeton University and also the author most recently of A Contest for Supremacy, China, America, and the Struggle for Mastery in Asia. Welcome to you. Thank you. And Jonathan Pollack is the acting director of the Thornton China Center at the Brookings Institution. Welcome to you as well. Thank you. Now, we've recently seen territorial disputes in the South and East China Seas, not just between Japan and China, but uh, involving other countries in Asia. And those seem to be raising all kinds of questions about military reach and resources. Uh, Is it China who's looking for an excuse to push its agenda because it's confident it can win and no one, including the U.S., will do anything about it? And what is the price of not taking action? Let me start with you, Aaron Friedberg. Well, these are disputes of long standing. Uh, they really go back 40 or 50 years, and they've flared up periodically, and they've started to heat up in the last couple of years. But I think there really is no question that China has been pushing harder, asserting claims that are of long standing, uh, and using its new capabilities to try to uh, establish uh, the validity of its claims to virtually the entire area, most of the water uh, surface features and presumably resources under the surface of the South and East China Sea are claimed by China. Jonathan Pollack? Broadly speaking, I would agree with Aaron, but what I think we're seeing much more is a kind of a new normal uh, across East Asia, and not just involving what China is doing, but frankly, what almost all the states of the region are doing. We have, as you noted, new leaders uh, in almost every country in the area, and this is very frankly what the United States now confronts, uh, a, a new reality especially in Northeast Asia, uh, where the military capacities are much greater and where the consequences, frankly, of any kind of further deterioration of relations, I think, would be much more profound. Well, let's delve into that, this new leadership, uh, not just in China. Uh, Japan has a new prime minister. South Korea has a new president. Uh, North Korea's Kim Jong-un is still somewhat new to the world stage. And You know, one worry out there is that some of these leaders have a more nationalist edge than their predecessors did. So, Aaron Friedberg, how does the Obama administration deal with that? If you look first at the U.S. allies, uh, South Korea and Japan, both now have leaders who are thought to be strongly pro-American. Mrs. Park and South Korea and uh, Prime Minister Abe in Japan. The big question there is how these two leaders are going to get along with one another. There's a new leadership in China, Xi Jinping and his colleagues uh, having been elevated to office. The leaders have been chosen, I think, in part because they are going to continue along lines similar to those laid down by their predecessors. But over the next few years, we could see change. And then in Korea, of course, a big question mark about the third member of the Kim dynasty now, uh, Mm -hmm. who, as you say, has been in power for a little while. Unclear whether he intends to deviate from the path set down by his father and grandfather. Mixed indications there, but also, I think, uh, some reason to be skeptical, particularly given the recent missile tests. I'd like to drill down a a little bit on China, because... Although our militaries cooperate in joint exercises, uh, their military might is still a concern. And, of course, we have heavy economic ties to that country. 
How receptive do you think China will be to U.S. priorities? Uh, You have currency reform. Any change on the horizon here? What to me is interesting in Xi's uh, early months in tenure uh, as uh, as party general secretary, Xi, if anything, is proving himself to be a much more forceful and resourceful leader than I think some people had anticipated. Xi uh, has ties uh, to the military in China. And of course, he comes from a royal bloodline. Some of what his father was associated with certainly would seem to leave open the possibility of what we might broadly call a more uh, reformist agenda, but she will be his own person. Now, some of that could be good. I mean, if anything, the United States would want an interlocutor who is confident and willing to tackle critical issues, whether they are economic, political, or security. It does seem like a lot of the focal point of discussions around nuclear weapons involves Iran, but of course North Korea already has them, seems determined to remind the world of that periodically. Is there any sign that Kim Jong-un will do things differently from his father in dealing with the international community on this and other issues? Uh, Let's start with you, Aaron, again. What appears to be the case thus far is that uh, Kim Jong-un is following in the footsteps of his father and grandfather in developing North Korea's military capabilities and taking a strong stance towards the outside world and insisting on North Korea's right to be a nuclear weapons state. That doesn't necessarily mean that he won't uh, sit down at the bargaining table, but I would be very surprised if he were to make a decision to back away from or to give up on the missile and nuclear weapons programs that North Korea has invested enormous resources in over the last several decades. Jonathan Pollock, would you agree with that assessment? Um, Broadly speaking, I would. The problem right now is that a lot of what North Korea may be doing is simply not observable, not detectable. Of course, they have not tested another nuclear weapon since a second test in 2009. But the bottom line is this. I take seriously a lot of what the North Koreans say in their propaganda. And in that respect, there is every determination to retain their capacity as a nuclear armed state. This is something that could potentially become a much larger problem than it has to date if it appears that North Korea is in fact proceeding to what we might call a more operationally deployed nuclear capability, which to date we really haven't seen fully. So um, that's where we are. And we heard earlier in the program in our conversation about the Middle East that the U.S. really needs to fix its internal issues before it can really focus abroad. I wonder, do you agree that that factors in when we're talking about Asia as well? Well, unfortunately, we don't have the luxury of sitting back and solving our domestic problems and then turning our attention to the outside world. We have to do both simultaneously. We need to be much more serious about some of these fundamental problems that we do confront here in the United States uh, that will, I think, be related very, very much to whether or not we can evolve a, a predictable relationship with all of Asia's powers on a more sustained long-term basis. Jonathan Pollock is the acting director of the Thornton China Center at the Brookings Institution and the author of No Exit, North Korea, Nuclear Weapons and International Security. And Aaron Friedberg is a professor of politics and international affairs at Princeton University and also the author of A Contest for Supremacy, China, America and the Struggle for Mastery in Asia. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. 
This Hour of America Abroad was produced by Jocelyn Ford, Maeve Francis, Terry Schultz, and A.C. Valdez. Edited by Martha Little with additional production help from Flawn Williams. You can hear past programs by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes, finding us on the TuneIn or Public Radio International apps, or by visiting our website, americaabroad.org. I'm Tess Vigland, and this is America Abroad from Public Radio International. Support for this show is provided by Public Radio International stations and listeners like you. This program is also made possible by the generous support of the Stewart Family Foundation. PRI, Public Radio International.